Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Welcome to BP's 2011 results and strategy presentation. <clears throat> we are very pleased to have you with us, whether that's in person, over the phone, or on the web. For those here in our new venue at Canada Square in East London, you will have seen behind me our safety evacuation guidelines. There are more details in the safety briefing card handing to you at reception. We are not planning to test the alarms today, so if you hear it, please proceed as advised by the instructions. And may I ask you also to turn off your mobile or cell phones now. Thank you. With me on stage, I have Brian Gilvari, who I am very pleased to introduce as BP's new Chief Financial Officer, and Ian Kahn, our Chief Executive of Refining and Marketing. In the audience, we have our Chairman, Carl Henrik Svonberg, and members of our executive team who will host the breakout sessions after this and join us for the question and answer session later. Now, before we start, draw your attention, careful attention to our cautionary statement. Please read it carefully during today's presentation. We will reference estimates, plans, and expectations that are forward-looking statements. The actual outcomes could differ materially due to the factors we note on this slide and in our regulatory filings. Please refer to our annual report and accounts 20F and fourth quarter stock exchange announcement for more details. These documents are also available on our website. Now, today we are going to return to the plans we laid out to you in October, our 10-point plan to grow value. We aim to leave you with an even clearer idea of the path ahead. 2011 was a successful year of recovery, consolidation, and change, and we reached an operational turning point in October. 2012 will be a year of milestones as we build on those foundations, and as we move through 2013 and 14, we expect to see the financial momentum building as we complete payments into the trust fund as our operations start to show the benefit of our actions. Our 10-point plan provides the roadmap how we will play to our strengths and be safer, stronger, and simpler, and more standardized. How value will be driven by growth in both underlying volume and margin from a portfolio of the right size to generate the operating cash flow to both reinvest in our project pipeline as well as reward shareholders as we have announced today with a 14% increase in the quarterly dividend. We believe this will help us see the true value of the company recognized. So let me outline today's agenda. I'll start with an overview, and then Brian will take us through the 2011 results in detail. I will then report on progress in the U.S. before outlining our plans for the upstream including showing you a video of a new initiative in the technology sphere that will be important for our industry. I will then briefly touch on TNKBP and alternative energy before Ian covers plans for the downstream. After a brief summary, the first part of our webcast will end and we'll break so that those here at the venue can regroup. We'll have three breakout sessions that will be held in rotation. Those cover specific sources of value group that we want to tell you more about. Mike Daly and Andy Hopwood will cover our plans for long-term investment in the upstream. 
Bernard Looney and Bob Fryer will discuss our upstream operating model and major projects. And Ian Kahn and his team will explain how we are moving our downstream business forward. The presentation materials for these breakouts will be posted on our website during the break for those not with us here today. And then at 4.45 London time, or GMT, we will gather back here and restart the webcast for concluding remarks and discussion. And we expect to be finished by around 5.30 London time. So I want to start by briefly looking back at 2011 and what we achieved. As you know, we set out three priorities last year, safety, rebuilding trust, and growing value. I believe we've made good progress on all three. We set up a new safety and operational risk organization and reorganized our upstream into three global divisions of exploration, developments, and production, which allows us to strengthen consistency and capability. We will be showing you more of the activities of the divisions in the breakouts later. Now, I believe trust is built by doing what you say you will do, and we have continued to meet our obligations to the Gulf of Mexico communities. We are, we are back to drilling wells in the Gulf of Mexico, applying our voluntary standards that go beyond regulatory requirements. And we're looking forward to value growth. There has been great progress. In 2011, we resumed the dividend payments. Our organic reported reserves replacement was above 100% again. Globally, BP was awarded 55 new exploration licenses in nine countries last year, making it 84 over the last year and a half. We believe this resulted in more net acreage than accessed by any of our peers in 2011. And it is a powerful indicator of how confidence has been restored in BP to work around the world after the events of 2010. In October, we reached an operational turning point already evidenced in the increase in production volumes that you have seen us report today for the fourth quarter. We have made substantial progress with our divestment program, which we will come back to later in more detail. And we have completed transactions that expanded the portfolio in the strategically important geographies of India and Brazil. And our downstream business achieved a record year for earnings. So that was the story for 2011. But before we look ahead, let's just remind ourselves of some important context. There are a number of clear trends in the energy world, as we highlighted in our recent Energy 2030 outlook. We expect aggregate energy demand to rise by up to 40% by 2030, nearly all of it from emerging markets. By 2030, we expect oil, gas, and coal to have similar shares of global demand. We expect gas to grow at around 2% per year, double the rate of oil growth. But we expect oil to continue to dominate transport fuel. Renewables are expected to grow the fastest of all, at around 8% per year. But even so, we estimate only 6% of the 2030 energy mix will be supplied by renewables. 
We also see that North America has the potential to become energy self-sufficient by 2030. This is driven by the shale gas revolution, but also by a growth in biofuels and domestic production from deep water, shale, and heavy oil. I believe our strategy is aligned to these big trends and positions BP well for the future. We will continue to invest in deep water, gas, and renewables. And we're investing in growing markets, for instance, India and Brazil, as well as in North America and elsewhere. And we're using our global reach to leverage technology and learning wherever we see the greatest opportunities. Against such trends, the oil price environment has been uncertain and volatile, and gas prices continue to reflect regional supply-demand dynamics, with spot pricing in the U.S. remaining heavily discounted from oil prices, but more aligned in Europe and Asia. In 2011, refining margins improved for a second consecutive year as demand for oil products continued to drive growth, driven by the non-OECD markets. And the outlook remains difficult to predict. It requires us to be very clear about our strategy and only participate where we can compete, no matter what the environment holds in store. I believe BP can do this. We have the scale, the focus, the distinctive trading capabilities, and the access to growth markets. Which brings me back to our 10-point plan. In October, we put forward five points to expect and five to measure. I said we would focus relentlessly on safety, play to our strengths, and be stronger, more focused, simpler, and more standardized. We promise to create more visibility and transparency to value. In terms of measures, you will see continuing activity in portfolio management. In October, we announced an intention to pursue a further $15 billion of divestments, making a four-year total of $38 billion by the end of 2013. Meanwhile, we expect to see new projects coming on stream with operating cash margins around double the 2011 upstream average by 2014. That's at $100 per barrel. It does exclude TNKBP. You can expect us to generate an increase of around 50% in additional operating cash flow by 2014 compared to 2011. Approximately half from ending the Gulf of Mexico trust fund payments and around half from operations. We plan to use around half of that extra cash for reinvestment and half for other purposes, including shareholder distributions. And all of this will be underpinned by a strong balance sheet. You will see evidence of how we're already delivering on those commitments as today's presentation unfolds. Our roadmap for long-term value creation plays to our strengths. In the upstream, I think we have a great track record in exploration, deep expertise in finding oil and gas. And we have three distinct engines for growth where you can expect to see us focus on our long-term investments, deep water, big gas value chains, and giant fields. And we have a world-class set of downstream businesses focused on fuels, lubricants, and petrochemicals. We have several world-leading technologies, from advanced seismic imaging 
to lubricant formulations and proprietary processes for petrochemical manufacturing, to name just a few. And we also have long experience of building and maintaining relationships, some of which are more than 80 years old. We saw the importance of this in the aftermath of the Gulf of Mexico oil spill, as many governments, regulators, customers, and suppliers around the world have stood by us and worked with us through this difficult phase. As we set out in October in our 10-point plan, there are now clear near-term measures of how we will grow value. 2012 will be a year where we see increasing investment in delivery in many key milestones. The year will be marked out by an increase in exploration wells from six in 2011 to 12 in 2012. There'll be six new project startups and eight rigs at work on BP-operated fields in the Gulf of Mexico. We expect capital investment to grow to around $22 billion and to progress our program of planned divestments. In refining and marketing, we plan to complete delivery of $2 billion in underlying performance improvement versus 2009. And we will complete our payments into the Gulf of Mexico Trust Fund in the fourth quarter. Then in 2013 and 14, as investment continues, we also expect to see greater financial momentum coming through in our operations. A further nine new project startups with average operating cash margins from the new projects in 2014 double relative to the 2011 portfolio. The upgraded Whiting refinery is planned to come on stream, and divestments are expected to have reached $38 billion. All of such, by 2014, you will see the expected rise in operating cash flow. So looking at it in terms of a simple bridge, we start with the operating cash flow in 2011 of $22 billion. The growth comes from four key drivers. As I mentioned, the completion of the payments into the U.S. Trust Fund accounts for roughly half of the expected increase. Then we have the restoration of high-value production and growth from our new projects. This is partially offset by divestments and the environmental assumptions we factored in. Added all together, we get an increase in operating cash flow in 2014 of around 50% and an assumed $100 per barrel. Today's presentation aims to give you more confidence in our ability to deliver on this outcome. But before we do this, I want to touch on some of the more critical enablers of this 10-point plan, those that are related to safety, to technology, and to people and organization. First, safety. Here are some figures to show how we are performing. We measure even the smallest release of hydrocarbons and track them carefully. We call each one a loss of primary containment. In terms of process safety, the number of incidents in which there has been a loss of primary containment has fallen once again. That is positive, but of course, even one incident is too many. Also, on this chart, you can see the progress we're making in improving personal safety, which is measured through the recordable injury frequency rate. Aside from the exceptional activities of the Deepwater Horizon response, steady progress has been made over this last decade. 
We've also continued to implement the recommendations of the BP investigation into the 2010 incident. It's called the Bly Report. Examples include the strengthening of the technical authority's role in cementing and zonal isolation and establishing key performance indicators for well integrity, well control, and rig safety critical equipment. We continue to make progress against the other recommendations. Now, beyond these markers of progress, we've also done a lot of work in the way we organize ourselves with respect to safety and risk management. These are the five strategic priorities for our agenda in managing safety and operational risk. All of them are delivered through our operating management system, or OMS, which is the standard system we use to drive systematic management and continuous improvement. The safety and operational risk function provides independent insurance, audit, and oversight to ensure the system is designed and operating correctly and works in partnership with the line management to ensure we're focusing on the right priorities. To give you just two examples, leadership determines the safety culture of the firm. And our action plan here includes requiring leaders to spend time in the field observing and inspecting. Organization, on the other hand, includes defining the competencies required in safety critical roles and assessing individuals and job candidates against them. There will be more on how we are applying OMS in the breakouts. Technology is another key enabler of the 10-point plan. Critically, it enhances safety and integrity, but it also creates value. We've focused approach to technology with 16 major technology programs selectively targeting points of competition within our industry across the areas shown on this chart. You will see another new one later in a short video clip. In 2011, we've increased our research and development spending to over $630 million, leveraging this expenditure through collaboration with others. We also spend a similar amount applying this know-how through field trips, field trials, pilots, and other deployment activities. You may have already seen some of the ways in which technology is working for us on display outside. In a short while, we're going to introduce you to a new initiative we hope will help us unlock greater potential in our deep water portfolio. Now, value growth will only be unlocked through the commitment, discipline, and hard work of our people. And we have great people at BP, dedicated and focused on supplying energy around the globe. We've also been very active in recruiting skilled employees, for example, with over 3,000 new technical specialists. And as a management team, we have devoted time to describing a set of simple and very personal values that we are embedding in the company. Safety, respect, excellence, courage, and working as one team. And for those of you here with us in London, you can see more of these outside the room as well. We've also evolved our approach to performance management and reward, requiring our employees to set personal priorities for safety and risk management, focus more on the long term and working as one team. And that seems like a good note for me to hand over to Brian. We'll take you through the 2011 numbers. Thank you, Bob. Uh, it's a pleasure to join you today for my first set of uh, quarterly results. I'd like to start with an overview of fourth quarter financial performance, uh, 
Our fourth quarter underlying replacement cost profit was $5 billion, up 14% on the same period a year ago. The result benefited from higher upstream realizations and a lower tax rate, partially offset by weaker refining margins and higher costs. While upstream production volumes fell relative to the fourth quarter of 2010, operational momentum improved relative to the previous quarter with an increase of 170,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Fourth quarter operating cash flow was $5 billion, including $1.2 billion of post-tax Gulf of Mexico oil spill expenditures. For the full year, 2011, underlying replacement cost profit was $21.7 billion, up 6% on 2010. Today, we also announced a 14% increase in the dividend to $0.08 cents per ordinary share, payable in the first quarter. Turning to the highlights at a segment level. In exploration and production, underlying fourth quarter replacement cost profit before interest and tax was $6.9 billion. Liquids realizations increased 29% year-on-year, in line with market grades. Gas realizations also improved, reflecting the value of our LNG portfolio. Production for the quarter was 3.487 million barrels of oil equivalent per day, 5% lower than the fourth quarter of last year, but 5% higher relative to the third quarter. Turnaround activity reduced from a peak in the third quarter, and we also resumed Gulf of Mexico drilling activity with five rigs operating by year-end. Production also benefited from the startup of the Pazthor field in Angola. Costs were higher in the fourth quarter compared to the same quarter a year ago. We deepened our engineering and technical capabilities, including the independent safety and operational risk function. Integrity-related spending was high, and rig standby costs in the Gulf of Mexico continued into October and November. Higher decommissioning provisions and greater production activity in Iraq drove an increase in DDNA. Relative to the third quarter, underlying earnings were also impacted by a loss in the gas and marketing trading business. For the full year 2011, replacement cost profit before interest and tax was $29.4 billion, an increase of 6% year on year. Full year production was $3.45 million uh, barrels of oil equivalent per day, 10% lower than 2010, or 7% lower after adjusting for the effects of acquisitions and investments and price effects on our production sharing agreements. Looking ahead, production in the first quarter of 2012 is expected to be broadly similar to the fourth quarter of 2011. Turning to TNKBP, our share of net income was $1 billion for the quarter, benefiting from higher production and realizations year on year, partly offset by increases in local transportation tariffs. Cash dividends in the quarter were $1.7 billion, bringing the total for the year to $3.7 billion. In future, we will report TNKBP separately, providing greater transparency of our upstream business outside of Russia. I view TNKBP as a long-life, self-funding source of free cash flow with significant future growth potential. Now, turning to refining and marketing. For the fourth quarter, the refining and marketing segment reported underlying replacement cost profit before interest and tax of $760 million, compared to $740 million in the same quarter last year. We are now reporting the three businesses within the segment separately, delivering the increased transparency we signal to you with the three crew results. Firstly, turning to fuels. Compared to the same quarter last year, the fuels business saw a 9% fall in refining marker margins, balanced by an improved contribution from supply and trading, and benefiting from access to lower-cost WTI price crew grades in the United States, in particular in the Midwest. Compared with the previous quarter, the U.S. fuels environment was particularly challenging. 
US refining margins reduced by more than 40% in the quarter, and differentials between WTI and Brent crude fell sharply from their third quarter highs. However, globally, we saw continued strong operations with Solomon availability at over 95% in the fourth quarter. Earnings from our lubricants business in the fourth quarter were impacted by an increasingly difficult marketing environment characterized by high base oil prices and weaker demand. This was largely offset by supply chain efficiencies and the strength of our products and brands. Turning to petrochemicals, compared with the fourth quarter of 2010, our petrochemicals business was also impacted by weakening market conditions as additional Asian capacity came on stream at a time of weaker demand. For the full year, refining and marketing delivered a record underlying replacement cost profit before interest and tax of $6 billion, made up of $3.6 billion in fuels, $1.3 billion in lubricants, and $1.1 billion in petrochemicals. Looking ahead, the level of refinery turnaround activity is expected to be broadly similar in 2012 compared to 2011. Moving to other business and corporate, we reported a pre-tax underlying replacement cost charge of $620 million for the fourth quarter, an increase of $140 million versus the charge of a year ago, primarily reflecting higher functional costs related to the strengthening of our operations. This, was more than offset, uh, this more than offset an improvement in the foreign exchange effects. The full-year charge of $1.7 billion was in line with our February guidance. In 2012, we expect the underlying quarterly charge for other business and corporate to average around $500 million, although this will remain volatile between individual quarters. The effective tax rate for the fourth quarter is 30%, bringing the full-year rate to 33%. In 2012, we expect the tax rate to be in the range of 34 to 36%. The increase is driven by changes to the geographical mix of income, together with the anticipated impacts of the disposal program. Turning to the costs and provisions associated with the Gulf of Mexico oil spill. In the fourth quarter, we recognized a $4.1 billion credit, reflecting a reduction in the pre-tax charge for the incident, bringing the full year total to a reduction of $3.7 billion. The 4Q credit reflects the settlement with Anadarko and Cameron, partially offset by an increase in the provision for spill response costs plus a charge for the ongoing quarterly expenses of the Gulf Coast Restoration Organization. Under these settlement agreements, Anadarko paid BP $4 billion in November, which was subsequently paid into the trust fund, and Cameron paid BP $250 million last month, which will be reflected as paid into the $20 billion trust fund in the first quarter. As a result of these accelerated contributions, the $20 billion commitment to the trust fund will have been paid in full by the end of this year. The total charge taken for the incident at year-end was $37.2 billion, reflecting the credits that I just described. Pre-tax BP cash outflow relating to oil spill costs for the year was $8.9 billion. As we indicated in previous quarters, we continue to believe that BP was not grossly negligent, and we have taken the charge against income on that basis. Turning to our divestment program, in October we raised our divestment target by $15 billion, which now brings the total to $38 billion, as Bob described. In the fourth quarter, we received $1.6 billion of investment proceeds from the completed sales of our interests in Lukaku, Vietnam, the Witch Farm Field in the UK, and the Pompano Field in the Gulf of Mexico. These brought the cumulative total of investment proceeds since the start of 2010 to around $20 billion. At the end of the year, we also had agreements in place covering a further $1.8 billion of investment proceeds, including the sale of our natural gas liquids business in Canada, bringing the total of completed and announced investments to date to over $21 billion. Turning to full-year cash flow, this slide compares our sources and uses of cash 
uh, from 2010 to 2011. Operating cash flow was $22 billion in 2011, which includes $6.8 billion of Gulf of Mexico oil spill-related expenditures. Divestment proceeds in 2011 were $8.9 billion, and $6.2 billion of disposal deposits brought forward into 2011 as short-term debt have been released or repaid. We spent $12 billion on inorganic capex in 2011, which included the purchase of upstream Brazilian assets from Devon Energy, the joint venture with Reliance Industries in India, our biofuels acquisition in Brazil, and the deepening of our natural gas asset base in the United States. Total cash held on deposit at the end of the year was $14.1 billion. Our year-end net debt increased to $29 billion, and our gearing ratio to just above 20%. In order to retain financial flexibility, we are targeting gearing in the bottom half of our new 10 to 20% range, and this will be achieved over time. Organic capital expenditure in 2011 was $19.1 billion in line with our revised October guidance. In 2012, we expect capital expenditure to increase to around $22 billion as we invest to grow in the upstream. Our DD&A charge was $11.1 billion in 2011, and in 2012, we expect this to be around a billion dollars higher due to new higher margin projects with higher finding and development costs and an increase in decommissioning costs across our portfolio. We expect underlying production in 2012 to be broadly flat, excluding TNKBP. Reported production is expected to be lower than 2011 due to divestments, which we currently estimate at 120,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. The actual outcome will depend on the exact timing of divestments, OPEC quotas, and the impact of oil price on production sharing agreements. TNKBP production is expected to grow by 1% to 2% per annum over the medium term. So in closing, I would like to provide an update on the medium-term financial framework for the group. We are increasing capital expenditure to grow the firm by investing in our areas of strength, as Bob described. With the improvements in operating cash flow we have outlined for 2014, we are now confident in committing to a progressive dividend policy going forward and have today announced an increase in the dividend of 14% to $0.08 cents per ordinary share, payable, as I said earlier in the first quarter. Future increases will be contingent on improved cash flow delivery, balanced by the need to retain financial flexibility and our continuing obligations to the Gulf Coast. Our commitment to reduce gearing to the lower half of the 10 to 20% range over time is supported by the $15 billion of additional strategic investments we announced in October. In addition, we aim to maintain a strong liquidity buffer given the current uncertainties and economic outlook. After meeting these objectives, share buybacks still remain an option as a flexible mechanism to return cash over the longer term once uncertainty is reduced and gearing has reached the lower half of our target band. That concludes my remarks. Back to Bob. Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> now let's take a look at the progress since the oil spill and spend a few minutes on the upcoming legal process in the U.S., on the Gulf Coast, beaches and water are open, and the seafood is as good as ever. 2011 was a great year for tourism. In many areas of the Gulf Coast, visitors filled more hotel rooms and spent more money than ever before. And these figures are from a number of state and regional tourism organizations. Our main effort is now on recovery. Active shoreline cleanup is essentially complete while patrolling and maintenance operations continue. To date, we have spent over $14 billion on spill response. 
we have already committed $1 billion for the early restoration of the natural habitats along the Gulf. And in December 2011, state and federal trustees unveiled the first set of early environmental restoration projects. By year-end 2011, we had paid over $7.8 billion to meet individual and business claims and government payments. And also by the end of 2011, we had paid over $15.1 billion into the trust fund, which is now over 75% funded. And this includes the settlements already mentioned by Brian. Of course, we still have a challenging period ahead of us. The legal processes around the incident are complex and uncertain. Let me explain what we do know. As I've said before, we're ready to settle if we can do so on fair and reasonable terms. But we are preparing vigorously for trial. The trial will allocate fault across the parties for the causality and resulting oil spill. The judgment is expected to assign percentages of fault among the participants in the well operation and on the rig. The United States Department of Justice is a party plaintiff and will represent its case for liability under the Clean Water Act. This slide shows a timeline for the civil trial. It is called MDL 2179, and MDL stands for Multi-District Litigation. Now, the future dates shown here are, of course, subject to change. MDL 2179 will start on February 27th and will be tried in three phases, each addressing a different part of the incident and its consequences. The whole process is likely to last into 2013, with breaks between the phases. Judgments can, of course, be appealed, taking us even further beyond this time frame. Over the coming weeks before the trial, the judge will continue to issue rulings to prepare the case for trial. And as we have stated from the outset, we do not believe BP was grossly negligent. We have confidence in our case, and we look forward to presenting our evidence when the trial begins. We believe the evidence will affirm what every official investigation to date has found that the incident resulted from many causes involving many parties. We can expect considerable media attention to this case in the months ahead. The early weeks of phase one will be dominated by various plaintiffs, including the Department of Justice, presenting evidence to support their claims, followed by Transocean, before BP gets to present its case and its evidence. However, we prefer that this case not be tried in the media. We believe the appropriate place to do that is in the federal court in New Orleans. We will make every effort to keep you, our shareholders, informed of the proceedings as appropriate to the legal position. Now, let me turn to the upstream and our plans for restoring and growing value in this vital part of our business. As you know, we are going through a period of significant change in the upstream. Today, I want to cover the drivers of long-term growth in this business through four lenses. Firstly, the progress we're making in changing the operating model. Second, how we are reshaping our portfolio, both divesting and acquiring. And I want to explain what this change is in service of and what is the endpoint we are striving for.
Third, I want to set out the milestones that demonstrate momentum towards expected operating cash flow growth by 2014. And then fourth, I want to look at beyond the next three years to the longer-term investments we're making. To the future we see beyond the next three years. Now, the move from a decentralized asset structure to a fully functional organization has been the biggest organizational change we've taken on in the last 20 years. It's hard work, but it's going well. We now have the functional organization lined up with every dimension of operational delivery and with full-line accountability. From our global approach to exploration and appraisal to a global approach to our major projects. This allows us to optimize activity choices effectively and execute them more reliably and efficiently. For example, we have a single global rig fleet operating to a single set of standards. Bernard and Bob will provide more insights during their breakout session. And you'll see how we are reinforcing risk management and generating efficiencies from more systematic and standardized design, engineering, and procurement practices. Let's take a look at how we manage the portfolio. I want to be very clear about this. We have some very simple objectives here. First, we want to own assets where we have a distinctive capability and can therefore achieve advantage returns. Second, we aim to achieve a size of the upstream that is small enough to generate growth in operating cash flow and large enough to enable us to take on the energy challenges and needs of returns, of governments, and doing it for decades. Third, we intend to deliver the funds to live within our financial framework. We're planning divestments of up to $30 billion in the upstream over four years and have announced $16 billion so far. We've also acquired very promising acreage in the deep water in Angola and Brazil, entering a growing gas market in India and deepened our unconventional asset base in U.S. gas and the Canadian oil sands. We have massively strengthened our exploration portfolio for the latter part of the decade. We've traded smaller, mature assets with declining cash flows for those which can grow. And we've concentrated geographies and assets to focus management attention. And we've increased the group's exposure to the growth markets where we believe exposure along the value chain maximizes returns. India is a good example where our reliance position supports a downstream gas JV and our petrochemicals portfolio overall in Asia. Total resources, excluding TNKBP, have grown by around 16% in the last four years. That's despite total proved reserves falling by 1 billion barrels of oil equivalent as we divested assets. The prospect inventory has nearly tripled, clear evidence of the portfolio's increasing potential. And we're also consciously creating a portfolio that plays to our strength with a balance between world-class deep water assets capability and a portfolio of giant oil and gas fields, which are both conventional and unconventional. This balance diversifies our production, which is now around 50-50 oil and gas, excluding TNKBP. And also the balance between high-margin, capital-intensive deep water operations and longer-term, lower-margin, but less capital-intensive investments. 
This leads me to unconventionals. Although unconventionals have been a part of our portfolio for decades, we have significantly strengthened our position over the past five years. We have been and we will continue to be very targeted about how we deepen in U.S. unconventionals, where we have a bias to liquid-rich gas, and also where we can export our technology to other regions of the world. Mike and Andy will expand on these points during their breakout session. Let me emphasize an important point about scale. We will see some further shrinkage as divestments materialize taking us to around a size of 2.3 million barrels of oil equivalent per day. It's at this level we have a quantum of operating cash that allows four things to happen. First, disciplined investment at scale to support growing demand. Second, a major step up in exploration. Third, a good balance between short and longer term investments. And fourth, enough critical mass to retain the benefits of scale and standardization. There will be underlying volume growth, but as we've said, it is value growth that we are after, which means growing both volume and margin. Now let me turn to operating cash growth. We showed this slide last October, showing our plans to increase operating cash flow in the upstream. The operating cash in 2014 will come from, first, our base operations, secondly, the new wells drilled in existing operations, and then finally, our 15 major projects in the upstream that will start between 2012 and 2014. The unit cash margins are expected to improve significantly with the new projects, having around twice a unit operating cash margin of our 2011 portfolio by 2014 at $100 a barrel. Our new projects are progressing well, all now centrally managed in our global projects organization. And by the end of 2014, we plan to start up these 15 major projects. That's six startups this year, with nine more in 2013 and 14. The majority of these projects in our higher unit margin cash areas of Angola, the North Sea, the Gulf of Mexico, and Azerbaijan, and is how we will deliver a unit operating cash margins I just mentioned. The project's mix is also diverse, with around two-thirds of the projects being oil developments and a third gas. And roughly half of these projects will be operated by BP. Most of the offshore projects in the North Sea and the Gulf of Mexico are subsea tiebacks to existing facilities, which allows us to build on previous investment made in the existing infrastructure. And Bernard will say more about the execution of these projects in the breakout session. Now, as you know, the Gulf of Mexico remains a very important part of our future, and getting safely back to work was a critical milestone for us. We now have rigs working on exploration and appraisal, major projects, and drilling and completion work on our existing fields. We have five deep water rigs working, with a further three planned to start up this year, subject to regulatory approval. Exploration and appraisal are important to us, and also to the future energy security of the U.S. And we're planning to spud the Gila exploration well in 2012, and anticipate ongoing appraisal programs on Cascita and Tiber. <clears throat> 
In major projects, we've reached the final investment decision on Mad Dog Phase 2, our first for an operated standalone facility in nearly a decade in the Gulf of Mexico, and a giant field in its own right. We also have Galapagos, Nikika Phase 3, and Mars B major projects starting up over the next three years. In production drilling, we have resumed drilling and completion activities at Thunder Horse and Atlantis, and we plan to restart the Mad Dog rig operations by the end of 2012. Clearly, there will be a lag between completing the activity and the related production showing up. Our focus is on value. So looking to 2012, we expect to see growth in operating cash driven by the unit cash margin improvements already mentioned. And as far as volume is concerned, we expect underlying production to be broadly flat, setting aside TNKBP. This is the net effect of growth from new projects, reduced outages, and a new production from India, offsetting the base decline. We expect production from the Gulf of Mexico to be somewhat lower than 2011, with the natural decline progressively offset by new production activity now that we're back to drilling. We expect Gulf of Mexico production to return to growth in 2013. We're also planning another extensive turnaround program in 2012, although we expect overall production outages to be lower. Bob will cover the details of this in his breakout session. We expect reported production in 2012 to be lower than 2011, and the actual outcomes of that will depend on the exact timing of the divestments also OPEC quotas and the impact of oil price on production sharing agreements. We expect the divestment impact to be around 120,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day in 2012, with around 70,000 barrels of that coming from divestments which are completed in 2011, and another 50,000 barrels of oil a day equivalent from divestments expected to close in 2012. We will continue to update you on these divestment impacts as the year progresses. And as Brian said earlier, we expect TNKBP production to grow organically at 1% to 2% in the midterm. Now, in terms of investment, we're expecting to increase our investment in the upstream to around $16 to $17 billion this year, up 2 to $3 billion on 2011. This is driven by doubling of exploration drilling and the increase in the major projects and the ramp-up of activity in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, let me turn to the horizon beyond 2014. We have a strong pipeline of exploration prospects and project opportunities that will generate new resources and projects well into the next decade. Near term, we have plans in place to ramp up exploration activity over the next two to three years, our experience in managing the subsurface, combined with advances in seismic imaging, is continuing to redefine and grow the size of our giant fields. This is underpinning major new investments, such as Mad Dog Phase 2, and the giant Clare Ridge projects here in the UK, to name just a few. Gas use as a fuel will continue to grow steadily in the global energy mix. We have world-class gas projects, and we expect to bring on-stream before the end of the decade linked to price leverage markets. And all of this is enabled by a commitment to technology, a theme which I'll return to shortly. 
This shows the pipeline of projects in detail. You can see that we have some major projects coming through behind the highlighted projects on the right side. These projects will start up in the next three years, and there is a very strong inventory of material exploration projects shown on the far left. There's roughly 40 projects there out beyond. These are aligned with our strengths in deep water, gas value chains, and giant fields. Deep water will remain a core building block of our portfolio through the end of the decade. And in the gas value chains, we have world-scale projects in Azerbaijan, Tangu in Indonesia, in Egypt, and in Trinidad. And we are praising another in Oman. In the area of giant fields, we will have significant cash flow coming over decades from our unconventional Canadian heavy oil projects and big unconventional gas fields around the world. Looking forward, we will be growing our overall capital investment into the upstream, led by doubling our investment in exploration. We will invest for near-term gas generation and create options for longer-term value growth. And around two-thirds of our investment over 2012 to 2014 will underpin the delivery of the operating cash up to 2014. And we'll do it in a safe and sustainable way. The other third will go on creating future projects, including exploration. Investment will be split, split broadly, equally between the deep water, the gas value chains, and the giant fields. And finally, there is no doubt in my mind that our new operating model will improve the execution quality and capital efficiency. Earlier, I mentioned the importance that technology plays in the world of energy. I'd like to make a departure from our usual format and show you something that we are very committed to and will be important for us in the years to come for safety and safely unlocking new deep water resources. Over the last few years, we have had considerable success in exploring deeper plays in some of the established basins, specifically the Paleogene of the Gulf of Mexico, the Tiber and Cascada fields, the Oleomiocene of the Nile Delta, that is the Raven and Satis fields, and the Prefacilla reservoirs of Shah Deniz in the Caspian and Azerbaijan. Each of these plays has developable oil and gas today, but each also has a material upside that sits beyond the industry's current capability due to the high pressure areas of the reservoirs. To address this undevelopable resource, today we are outlining a project to develop a high pressure capability to drill, develop, and produce resources beyond 15,000 pounds per square inch, or 15K PSI, and we call it Project 20, 20K. Let's look at a short video, give you some appreciation of the challenge and the opportunity that this project represents. At BP, we're playing to our strengths. Exploration, deep water, gas value chains, and giant fields, all of which are grounded in technology. We're going to talk about our next investment in technology at scale to extend our deep water capability to help meet the world's growing demand for energy. It's a new chapter in the story of technology at BP. First, let's recap some earlier technology chapters where BP set the pace. 
The research we've conducted over the past decade is making possible a significant breakthrough in water flooding. We're now deploying this technology across our assets, including Alaska and the North Sea. Seismic imaging is another area where our innovations have enabled industry breakthroughs. Our modeling and supercomputing capabilities have helped us achieve a strong exploration record and drive down seismic acquisition costs, for example, in Oman. BP was also a leader in developing high-pressure, high-temperature production systems up to 15,000 pounds per square inch, enabling the development of giant fields such as Thunderhorse. Exploration success has resulted in a leading reserves and acreage position in the Gulf of Mexico, where the deepwater paleogene offers substantial new reserves. This is where the next deepwater frontier comes into play, one that's hotter and deeper and higher pressure, a technology frontier where new capability is required to explore for and develop deeper reservoirs beyond 15,000 PSI. Inevitably, we come to this new frontier, mindful of the Deepwater Horizon accident in 2010. We've had a very difficult choice to make. Exit Deepwater due to risks involved, or apply the lessons learned to improve the safety and reliability of our current and future operations. Our decision was to go forward, but with great sensitivity to risk and the new standards we're adopting. So what will capability in this new deep water frontier beyond 15,000 PSI mean for BP? It will allow us to develop deeper, higher pressure resources in our existing giant fields. It will allow us to explore and produce future discoveries that exceed 15,000 PSI. We anticipate a prize for the industry of many billions of barrels for BP we estimate a resource potential of 10 to 20 billion barrels over the next two decades. So that's why today we are announcing Project 20K, something we believe will unlock huge potential for BP and the industry. It's going to take an extraordinary commitment to build technology for subsea developments at these higher pressures. We intend to develop four new systems, rigs, risers, and BOP equipment, well designs and completions, a subsea production system, and an interventions and containment system. We've drawn together a team of our best engineers from across the globe. We will seek out partnerships with the best companies, contractors, academics, and government institutions, and exploit the benefits of scale and standardization. We know what technology will be needed for 20K, and we know it will demand new standards for safety and risk management. We estimate an investment of several billion dollars in exploration, appraisal, drilling and well intervention technologies. We're very excited about this strategic investment in technology to support production beyond 2014. You'll hear more about our 20K strategy as the program develops. You can see the challenge and the value or opportunity that this will unlock. We have great people working on this, <clears throat> and I believe it will not only open some of BP's existing resources, but perhaps a greater prize will be the new resources it will unlock in exploration and development. 
We anticipate doing this both as BP and in partnership with NOCs. Much of the technology will apply on and offshore and therefore be of help in the Middle East, the Mediterranean, Russia, and the Gulf of Mexico. Like many advances in industry developments of this type, capability will take some time. We'll keep you posted on progress. So to sum up, our upstream business is going through significant changes. And while we still have some way to go, we can already see tangible benefits. Our new operating model is in place with safety and operational risk, embedding in the divisional organization accountable for operational performance. We are standardizing, choosing our activity carefully and improving how we work to get this done. We continue to sharpen our portfolio, having already announced divestments of around $16 billion of assets in the upstream, with plans in place for up to $30 billion in total. And we've made strategic acquisition and businesses positioned for growth, and will continue to do so if good opportunities arise. We have reloaded our exploration prospect inventory through record licensing. Upstream will contribute significantly to the group's expected 50% increase in operating cash by 2014. This will be from higher margin major projects, startups, come from new wells, as well as efficiency in our base business. And finally, we're increasing investment through the medium term, investing in the areas where we can add the most value by playing to our strengths. Now, let me give you a summary of TNKBP which continues with its consistent track record of delivery despite the challenges. TNKBP offers BP a distinctive position to access Russia's extensive hydrocarbon resources. It is now Russia's second largest oil producer, with BP net production of almost a million barrels of oil per day and nearly five billion barrels of oil equivalent in terms of proof reserves, and it is Russia's third largest refiner and now has an established international presence. The ongoing shareholder dispute has had minimal impact on the operational and financial performance of the joint venture. And since its formation in 2003, TNKBP has delivered 4% organic production growth. In 2011, BP's share of net income was $4.2 billion, and dividends received were $3.7 billion. And since acquiring 50% of TNKBP for around $8 billion, BP has received around $19 billion in dividends. So historically, around $2 billion a year. And at the same time, TNKBP has been a solid corporate citizen and has paid around $160 billion of taxes, duties, and levies since its formation in 2003. Looking to TNKBP's future, it has a material opportunity set, and we expect organic growth, as Brian said, of 1% to 2% per year in the midterm. And the efforts to manage production declines in brownfields will continue through the focused application of new technologies, such as BP's Brightwater technology, with an upscale treatment program being planned. And the ramp-up of the Verknachanskoya and Uvat fields will underpin growth to 2015, and longer-term growth will come primarily from the developments on the Yamal Peninsula, Ruskoya, Suzun, and Tagul. In the downstream, TNKBP will invest and continue to invest for higher fuel quality improvements, refining yield improvements, and marketing expansion over the next three years. 
2011 marked expansion into selective advantage international opportunities with access in Venezuela and Vietnam. We see the growth potential in the portfolio and we continue to be pleased with TNKBP's performance. And finally, a few comments about our alternative energy business before handing over to Ian to cover the downstream. BP has been in various segments of renewables over the last 35 years to understand and be positioned for the global trend of long wavelength renewables growth we highlighted earlier. The portfolio is now tightly focused on several specific operating and technology assets. In biofuels, our operating assets are focused in Brazil, where we own and operate three mills in prime CAME locations and plan to continue investing in Advantage land, mills, and logistics. Our biofuels technology assets include our U.S. cellulosic biofuels business and other advanced biofuel developments, notably biobutanol. And in renewable power, or wind, our operating assets consist of over 1,000 turbines in 13 wholly owned and joint venture U.S. wind farms, which have been developed since 2007. We have an advantage land position, which underpins our ongoing wind development and construction program. This land position does have analogies to upstream exploration acreage. And we plan to continue to grow all of our alternative energy business with an increasing footprint of operating assets. And the business is now positioned for a steadily improving income and operating cash flow contribution. So with that, let me turn it over to Ian for the downstream. Well, th <clears throat> thank you, Bob, and uh, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be talking to you again about refining and marketing. We had an in-depth look at the, the segment at our Investor Day on the 30th of November, and therefore I'm going to focus today on a few key aspects we covered at that time, talk in more detail about our results for the segment as a whole, and remind you where we are in our journey. In the breakout session, we'll provide more detail about our results and strategic progress by value chain business in line with the increased transparency that we've provided you with today. <coughs> Bob reminded you of BP's 10-point plan earlier. One of the strengths we're playing to is developing a truly world-class downstream business. R&M has come a long way, and we've a very focused portfolio of value chain businesses designed to deliver a competitively winning performance. We're in the business of hydrocarbon value chains, and in addition to an intense focus on safe, reliable operations, our definition of world-class is clear. It means being the highest quality business measured by delivery of leading returns and material cash flow growth. We're in three types of value chain businesses, fuels, lubricants, and petrochemicals. We're delivering returns in each of these business models at or near the top of the competitive range, and today we've provided you with further transparency of each of these businesses, including five years of history. <clears throat> In November, I used this slide to outline what a world-class downstream business involves. It all starts with a platform built on safe and reliable operations and leadership in process safety combined with excellent execution. 
Next, the portfolio must be of high quality competitively with assets of the right scale, location and configuration and having leading technology and brands. In each business, the value chain must be operated and optimized in an integrated way. This all drives competitive cash margin capability, which in turn leads to differentiated utilization and cash flows. Growth of the business comes from growth in margin share in established markets and exposure to growth market positions. Finally, all of this must be within a disciplined financial framework with active portfolio management to ensure a tight focus on quality positions. So how are we doing? This chart's familiar to you. It shows the improvement in underlying pre-tax earnings relative to our history. The dark line shows our historical relationship between refining margins and profits. Having returned the business to historical performance levels in 2009, the yellow band represents our goal of improving underlying pre-tax RC profit by a further $2 billion per annum by the end of this year relative to 2009. Plotting our profit and refining marker margin on this chart, you can see that in the two years of 2010 and 11, it shows we've delivered $1.3 billion of that improvement. 2011 was a particularly heavy turnaround year and the underlying performance improvements actually higher when the approximately 200 million of an increased turnaround burden in 2011 versus 2009 is taken into account. We therefore remain confident that we're on track to deliver the aggregate $2 billion of performance improvement by the end of 2012. As of the end of 2011, in total since 2007, we've now delivered over $6 billion per annum of pre-tax underlying improvement. Let me now turn briefly to competitive performance. <clears throat> You're also familiar with these charts. They show BP's estimates of our competitive performance versus the R&M segments of the other super majors adjusted to be on a comparable basis using the same methodology we've used for the last five years. In terms of post-tax ROSI, BP's achieved another goal with returns approaching 10% in, in 2011, the best since 2006, when refining margins were nearly 40% higher at $16 a barrel. BP's now moved from being the worst performing company in the sector from 2004 until 2008 to being one of the better performers on this measure. On the right, you can see underlying net income per barrel of refining capacity this is a measure of relative portfolio quality, and while there, of course, is a mix effect, most of our competitors also do have large lubricants businesses and some petrochemicals. The fourth quarter was a very challenging time for the fuels business in our sector. Despite lower refining margins, including the collapse of Gulf Coast and Midwest margins in particular, and the narrowing of the WTI Brent differential, our fuels businesses remain profitable in 4Q. Overall, I'm pleased with our competitive performance, which once again is beginning to demonstrate the relative quality and resilience of our portfolio. Brian outlined our 4Q performance earlier, and let me just provide you with some further commentary on how R&M's individual businesses fared for the full year of 2011. Here you see an update version of the chart I showed in November. On the left you see the performance history of the individual businesses updated with 2011's actual results. 
In 2011, R&M's underlying pre-tax RCP was $6 billion, a record year for the segment, and above 2004 levels despite lower refining margins. Under the graph, you'll also see for the first time the 2011 pre-tax averaged operating capital employed, including goodwill, that's a mouthful, split out by business model. This shows a total capital employed on this measure of $56 billion, giving pre-tax returns relative to this measure of 11% overall for the year. As you can see, the fuels business carries 80% of this capital employed. This is significantly driven by the oil price effect on working capital. On the right, you see the business environment indexed back to 2004. The fuels business delivered 3.6 billion of underlying pre-tax RCP compared to 2.2 billion in 2010, an increase of 62%. Refining margins were $1.60 per barrel higher. Solomon refining availability was similar to 2010 at 95%. Marketing volumes were down 4% year-on-year due to demand effects and marketing margins were also lower. Although we did see improved refining margins and improvement in the WTI Brent spread, there were many offsetting challenges such as the higher price for sweet crude globally. Our oil trading and supply activities returned to a more typical level of contribution after a poor 2010 Overall, 2011 was a good year for the fuels business with material year-on-year -year momentum. In terms of strategic progress, the Whiting project remains on track for coming on stream in the second half of 2013, and today we announced the intention to sell our LPG marketing businesses, serving the bulk and bottle markets in nine countries. This continues our journey to focus down on a logical core set of positions in which we believe BP to be the natural owner. We'll provide more detail of this in the breakout session. Turning to lubricants, underlying pre-tax RCP was 1.2 billion, down 11% year-on-year, and in line with 2009 levels. Volumes were also down by 4%. Base oil prices, which you can see on the right, rose by over 30% during the year, contributing material pricing pressure and providing a very challenging environment when combined with the general slowdown in economic activity. Against this backdrop, our brands and the business performed well. In petrochemicals, underlying pre-tax RCP was $1.1 billion, down 9% year-on-year. Margins were up 5% on 2010, although ended the year at very low levels, having started the year benefiting from particular strength in paraxylene. Production was down 6% year-on-year as a result of operational issues, including a direct strike by a tornado at our Decatur, Alabama facility. So I'd now like to turn to earnings and operating cash flow momentum. We showed the picture on the left in October. I've simply updated it for 2011 actuals. It shows our pre-tax earnings growth relative to a 2007 baseline in a constant 2009 refining margin environment. Having materially improved our earnings position since 2007, we continue to have confidence in the pre-tax earnings growth of the portfolio through to the end of this year and out to 2014. This earnings momentum comes from sustaining returns from the base, improving cash margin capability, including the impact of the Whiting modernization project coming on stream, and through extending our positions in growth markets. 
This earnings momentum at a constant environment is the major driver of our operating cash flow growth between 2011 and 14 as we contribute to the group goal. On top of earnings, which flow through to operating cash flow growth, we are constantly looking for ways to improve the efficiency of working capital use in the business, particularly in fuels. In terms of actual pre-tax returns, as you can see from the red line, we've nearly doubled them from 2008 to 11, and we expect them to continue to expand through earnings growth, portfolio simplification, including the ongoing US divestments and the proposed LPG sale announced today and through active improvement of capital and working capital efficiency. R&M remains a material, material, contribution, <laughs> material contributor to the group's cash flows today and to the forward growth in operating cash flow into the future. So let me summarize. BP has a highly competitive downstream portfolio which is becoming truly world-class. Success is defined by safety performance, excellent execution, intense focus on the quality of the portfolio and through exposure to growth. The 2011 underlying pre-tax RCP of six billion is an all-time record for BP and has been achieved in far from the best market conditions. R&M remains on track for delivery of $2 billion of improvement in pre-tax underlying performance by the end of 2012 relative to 09 and represents a material contribution to the growth in operating cash flow for the group by 2014 notably through the Whiting project coming on stream in the second half of 2013. As Brian outlined earlier, we continue to invest with discipline. 2012 organic capital expenditure is expected to be about $4.5 billion, slightly higher than in 2011 as the activity levels in the field at Whiting ramp up. We continue to be active in the management of our portfolio and will provide more detail on our portfolio activities in the breakout. Finally, We've provided you with further transparency on the performance of the fuels, lubricants and petrochemicals businesses so you can get a better feel for our performance and momentum. For each of the businesses, you'll be able to track and measure our progress through our profits, operating returns on either capital or sales and through key operating metrics. In summary, 2011 represented a good year for R&M and I'm particularly proud of the team which delivered it. Let me now hand you back to Bob. So thank, <clears throat> thank you, Ian. Let me just conclude by summarizing this first part of today's presentation. So looking out to 2014, you can expect to see the delivery of many milestones. <clears throat> These include downstream earnings momentum, reaching $2 billion of improvement this year versus 2009. Upstream performance improving as we return to work in the Gulf of Mexico and the margin mix of our portfolio improves. The Gulf of Mexico liabilities being clarified. <clears throat> Trust fund payments ending this year. And the Whiting Refinery upgrade coming on stream in 2013. And the startup of 15 new upstream projects over 2012 to 2014. The 10-point plan will continue to provide the background, backbone of our program for value creation <clears throat> of what you can expect and what you can measure. And as the months go by, we will be able to show you how we are progressing against these expectations and indicators of performance. 
BP is moving forward. The year of consolidation is now behind us. Safety and risk management are our continuing priority. 2012 will be a year of milestones with financial momentum building in 2013 and 14. And we expect around 50% improvement in operating cash flow by 2014 compared with 2011. Long run, we'll be increasing investment to grow the firm, but we'll also continue to actively manage the portfolio to add value. Gearing is targeted to reduce to the bottom half of the 10 to 20% range over time. And our attention is to grow distributions over time in line with the improving circumstances of the firm. Having reached an operational turning point in October and having confidence in our 10-point plan, we believe the circumstances have improved sufficiently to increase the dividend as we announced today. 